Good morning. Welcome to this week's edition of Sermon Scraps. This past Sunday, yesterday, we were in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 6, 6. Uh, There's a couple more healing stories. Uh, First was the uh, look at Jairus, and then transition to the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, then back to healing Jairus' daughter, and then wrapping it up with the story of Jesus going back to Nazareth and the rejection of a prophet in his own hometown. Um, I got one question uh, after the service yesterday, and that was that physicians are uh, acting to go do good. So I had said that that this woman had uh, been abused by various physicians. And I do want to make the, the, the note that physicians aren't all bad. In fact, if you look at the Hippocratic Oath, one of the things physicians are supposed to be doing is, is do no harm. Um, however, the text does say that, uh, describe this woman as, be, as uh, it says, uh, suffered under many physicians, and then goes on to describe her situation that she grew worse. Um, so that's where all the commentaries I was reading about this uh, were articulating that this suffering was meaning meaning she was abused by all these physicians. Now that's not the normal uh, case for many physicians, so I just wanted to admit and acknowledge that. In this case, uh, it seems that she, do, she did experience some sort of abuse at the hands of, of physicians. Um, now that was the only comment I got on it, um, and, and the only like explanation, further explanation I wanted to do on the text, but I wanted to take some time just to talk through some bigger themes and pictures that are kind of assumed on Sundays that I don't really have time to dig into. Um, I have been talking about some of these ideas quite a bit in my Sunday school class on Sunday mornings, which meets at nine o'clock. So if you'd like to join us for that, we would love to have you. Uh, But one of the things we are committed to here at South Suburban is preaching expositionally. Um, that is, we we go verse by verse through the Bible, and then we go through like big books of the Bible. So generally what you're going to get here, even if it's a, like a thematic uh, series, like looking at, at uh, I mean, we've done like a theological tune-up. Uh, we've done um, um, like some of our core values. What does discipleship mean? What we're going to do, even in the midst of those, is take a passage of scripture that applies to the things we're going to be studying and then just walk verse by verse what it means. One of the... Um, difficulties with doing ex- expositional preaching is we have a tendency to miss the forest for the trees. Like we're, we're looking at like finite little minutia details of the text that we almost miss the bigger picture, the bigger narrative of what's going on. And the way the Bible was written is it was meant to be like read uh, systematically from front to back and, and then pick up on some of these overarching themes about what's taking place throughout the whole story. So even like Mark's gospel was actually meant to be read from front to back. Uh, it's just in one big sitting, that, that's what they would do in the church, is they would read the entire entire letter from front to back. Now there's um, arguments, like there, there's uh, preaching developed very early in the church, so this isn't like a 21st century Western idea. What we do on Sunday mornings is is the natural out, outgrowth of, of what God and has commanded us to do as the church. Um, but I think we, we uh, have a tendency to either assume or presume that people know how the whole storyline of Scripture fits together. So one of the questions that, that uh, like, I, I have a list of questions that I work through. Uh, my, my, I don't know if I have, well, there it is. My preaching mentor when I was starting was a guy named Greg Scharf, who wrote a book called Let the Earth Hear His Voice. Um, and and he I mean, really revolutionized the way that I approach uh, preaching on, on the day-to-day basis, as far, specifically the, the preparation side. So he has uh, six questions that I'm supposed to ask of the text every single week that I do. So I, I carefully look through the text, read various translations. And one of the questions that I ask of the text is, how does this passage contribute to the larger picture, the drama of redemption? Now, what that is, is uh, presuming or assuming is, you know, the overarching storyline of scripture. Now, one way of summarizing that is creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. 
creation. That's a summary of how the whole Bible fits together. Is creation at the beginning, it was very good. The fall happens, which makes things very bad, which means redemption is coming. Once redemption comes, it leads us to consummation, where everything will be completely fulfilled and everything will be completely ordered as it is supposed to be. I'm currently meeting with uh, Luke Vanderskaff and working through a book called God's Big Picture that summarizes the Bible this way. It says it's the, king, it's the, the storyline of the Bible is the kingdom of God, which is defined as God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. So then there's there's all these ideas. It's uh, one, two, three, four, five, uh, eight ways of summarizing how this kingdom motif fits throughout the storyline of Scripture. So you have the pattern of the kingdom in the beginning uh, with, with Eden. You have the parish kingdom, which is the fall. You have the promised kingdom, which is Genesis 3, God, God coming and saying he's going to fix everything that, that the humans had broken. There's the partial kingdom, which is Israel and, and Judah, the nation of Israel. There's the prophesied kingdom that summarizes all of the prophets. That's the Old Testament. Then we get to the New Testament, which is the present kingdom, where Jesus says repeatedly the kingdom of God is at hand. Then we go to the proclaimed kingdom, where we have this proclamation that is supposed to be taking place. I've said that repeatedly throughout this Mark series, that we are supposed to be proclaiming, preaching this gospel message, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then finally is the perfected kingdom, that is the new heavens and the new earth. Now we need all of those ideas, we need this big overarching storyline of scripture in order to faithfully and correctly interpret the Bible. We need to understand where we're at in the storyline of scripture so that we can understand understand how we should be faithfully interpreting the text in front of us. Uh, an illustration I've, I've been told about some of the ways people do this incorrectly is when we pick up the newspaper, there's multiple different sections in them that we read differently. So if we were to open up to the sports section and expect from the sports section we were going to get the weather for the day, we would be severely misguided. Similarly, if we were to pick up the Bible and read Leviticus, for instance, the same way we read the Gospels, we would be interpreting Leviticus incorrectly and unfaithfully to the way God has actually uh, wants us to faithfully interpret uh, his scriptures. Now, there's uh, another piece to this, like there's different ways and, and um, studies or, or uh, disciplines that we need to put together that I think uh, people have a tendency to either assume or not even be aware of when we do our, our biblical interpretation. So in my Sunday school class, again, I've been emphasizing what is known as the feedback loop. Now I got that from uh, an article that, that uh, Dr. D.A. Carson wrote on biblical theology and where it fits within how we put all of, all of theology together. Uh, but it begins on the one side with exegesis, which is just careful reading. That leads us to biblical theology. Well, I'll, just, I'll do the overview quick. So first, exegesis, then biblical theology, and then historical theology, then systematic theology, and then finally pastoral or practical theology. Um, and, and we have a tendency to, to just kind of assume some of these pieces or, or use our systematics and force them back onto exegesis before doing any of the other work leading up to that. So uh, a, a way of summarizing those ideas, exegesis is just careful reading of the text, being, being intentional and slowing down, paying attention to the words, the syntax, how all the words and, and ideas fit together. From there, we move on to putting to, to doing biblical theology. This tries to answer the question, how has God revealed his word historically and organically? Now, this is, the again, this is where we need that bigger meta-narrative of scripture. And, and I don't think many times we have a good biblical theology, a good understanding of the way the whole Bible fits together because we, we are so focused on the individual verses. After that, we move to historical theology. This is looking to answer the question, how have people in the past understood the Bible? This is one that many modern debates are missing 
because they have come up with this new interpretation or new revelation way of trying to interpret the text that dismisses 2,000 years of church history. After doing all of those, exegesis, biblical theology, historical theology, then we can finally get to systematic theology. Systematic theology tries to answer the question, what does the whole Bible teach about certain topics? Or another way of asking that is, what is true about God and his universe? How do we systematize everything that God has revealed himself to us? Then after doing all those pieces, can we finally get to pastoral or practical theology, which is how should humans respond to God's revelation? Now, one of the um, ways that that like I've, I've seen just, just some of these ideas assumed or presumed or missed is we have a tendency to go from exegesis and jump immediately to, pra to, to application or pastoral or practical theology and miss all the other pieces that are in between there. Um, and, and I mean, I, I think of a, a common uh, a devotional method that I've seen even churches advertising is SOAP. So scripture, observation, application, and prayer. So there's a scripture part, which is great. That should be exegesis. There's observation. So what, is, what does the text say? Uh, but is that doing biblical theology or historical theology or systematic theology? Um, and then application. So you're jumping to pastoral theology without doing any of the other pieces leading up to that and then jumping to prayer. That, that's where you end up with a lot of aberrant theology, with, with a lot of heresies that are coming out because th there's not this bigger spectrum of how we're working through our biblical theology, our, our historical theology, our systematic theology before we get to the application piece. And, and we need to have this bigger picture so that we can faithfully interpret when we get to that pastoral theology part. But if we just immediately go from exegesis and then jump to uh, pastoral or application uh, theology, then we're going to miss all those other pieces and not actually have a, a proper understanding of how God has has put together his word. So when, when we think of Mark, um, like we're, we're looking at these tiny little individual pieces. So like this past week, uh, Mike, Mike and I were talking after the after the message yesterday, because one of the things that, that he noticed was some of the same themes that popped up in the message that he did the week before, where uh, Jesus does this miracle and the response of the people is, is fear and awe or, or amazement or marveling, something like that. So it's building up like there's these four cases, four instances where people respond. The disciples initially with the, with the, um, the, the storm on, on the lake, the, the demon-possessed man, you have Jairus, you have the, the uh, woman, in, in uh, the bleeding woman, and then the uh, at very end of that is Jesus marveling at people, at the lack of people's uh, belief. Um, and so like there's there's even themes that that even on a Sunday morning we just don't have time to get to because there's so much stuff that that this text is saying in so many different ways that, that we can read and interpret and faithfully apply which is somewhere we just need to continue spending time and time and time more time in God's word so as we think of mark like the bigger meta narrative of mark's mark's gospel um, the entire storyline of this gospel is building up to Peter's confession in, in mark 829. Uh, that is where where Jesus asks him, "Who do you say that I am?" And Jesus said, uh, "Sorry, Peter says you are the Christ." And then honestly, it's all downhill after that, just like an acceleration to uh, to the cross. So the way the ESV Study Bible summarizes this is is essentially Mark is is a gospel in two parts. First is the demonstration of Jesus' authority, which is Mark 1 all the way up through uh, Peter's confession. And then after that is the testing of Jesus' authority and suffering, because it, it, Jesus then moves his his focus towards Jerusalem and, and ultimately his death. Now, now um, there's two study Bibles that I always recommend just because it helps us put together some of these ideas. The ESV study Bible, 
You'll see it there. Um, and the ESV Study Bible is intentionally a systematic theology. So trying to put all the pieces together. So what does God reveal himself to us systematically? The NIV Zondervan Study Bible, which I think has been renamed to the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible, which guess what? Is trying to emphasize the biblical theology. So the way uh, the NIV Study Bible summarizes Mark's gospel is three parts. First, the Lord in strength, which is the same that Mark 1 through 8, Jesus' mighty words and deeds in Galilee and beyond. Then it goes to this biblical theology theme of the new Exodus way of the crucified Lord. Now, one of the things Micah uh, has brought up is there's like the, the, this theme throughout Mark's gospel of wil the wilderness, where the wilderness is brought up regularly, trying to bring up this Exodus motif. That if you, Again, if you're not paying careful attention to the way the whole Bible fits together, you're going to miss some of those themes that, that, that uh, God, the holy, the divine author of Scripture, is trying to communicate to us. So after that second part, then the NIV Study Bible summarizes the last part as Jerusalem, a new temple, a new covenant, and a new Passover. Again, going back to some of these old biblical theology themes. So that is, is uh, if you want more resources on that, I've got a few books over here that I would highly recommend to study into. Uh, one of the best ones and, and most applicable, honestly, is, is the one I'm doing with uh, Luke Vanderskaff. It's called God's Big Picture by Vaughn Roberts. But I also highly recommend having a couple study Bibles like the NIV Study Bible and the ESV Study Bible because they're going to they're gonna emphasize different aspects to help us have a big bigger picture of what God is trying to communicate us to uh, through his word. Now we're going to pause our Mark series this, this coming Sunday. We're going to be looking at uh, the Palm Sunday account in uh, Matthew chapter 11, I believe. Um, don't quote me on that because I don't exactly remember, but I think it's Matthew chapter 11. Um, and then uh, Easter Sunday, we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul talks about some of the implications of the resurrection in our lives today. And then we'll pick up Mark again the week after Easter. So don't forget, uh, Easter week starts next Sunday. We'll be having palm ranches for the kids. And, and I, I remember doing that when I was growing up. It's it's a super fun service, so look forward to that. Uh, we'll be having a Monday, Thursday service on uh, next Thursday, and then a Good Friday service on Friday, and then Easter uh worship service at 1030 like normal. If you guys have any questions about anything I brought up or would like to, to know about any more of these books, please reach out to me. Otherwise, we will see you next Sunday.